Amen. You doing good, sister? All right. I wanted to share a little bit just real quick before I started about what, um, what our kids did this past Wednesday. And I thought this was kind of a neat activity. And um, they made pumpkins. Amen. I guess that's pumpkin. It could, could be an orange, but it's a pumpkin. And uh, on each strand of their pumpkin, uh, they listed things that they are thankful for. And I just wanted to, to share some of these because there seems to be a theme uh, with our children. Um, family, school. That was a sick child right there. Uh, I am thankful for Jesus, amen, for my home, for my friends. But get this, I'm thankful for my church family. Mm. I'm thankful for Grandma, Grandpa, the dog, Mom and Dad, and Katie, amen. I'm thankful for my animals, and I'm thankful for God and Jesus and Kara, whoever that is, and also for my family, but I'm thankful for my church family. Interesting. Another one said that I'm thankful for the dogs and cats and uh, for my family and my home, my friends, and for Jesus. Amen. Thankful for my mom and thankful for my nana. Thankful for Jesus and my sisters, but I'm thankful for my church family. You see the theme there? Our children are thankful to you for the ministry that you do on Wednesdays. And I am thankful to you. And I believe that your Savior, your Lord Jesus, is thankful to you for what you do on Wednesdays. And I'm just going to keep all these little pumpkins for myself. Amen? What a blessing. Well, we are still talking about the home team, and the home team is Team Jesus. Uh, your home team may be your marital team. It may be your family team. It may be your church team. Friend, it may be your work team. But we're all part of many different teams. But sometimes I want to tell you this morning that sometimes the best way to remember something is by remembering and utilizing helpful hints. Uh, hence your message this morning. Helpful hints for the home team. To get us in the right frame of mind, I want to share with you something that I read this week. This is not my own words. This is something I read, okay? And what I read was 10 helpful hints to help women understand how men think. Y'all get that? 10 helpful hints to help women understand how men think. In digressing order, I give you first number one. Learn to work the toilet seat. If it's up, put it down. Amen? Ten helpful hints to help women understand how men think. Number one, again, don't ask men what we're thinking unless you're prepared to discuss navel length, the AP poll, or the shotgun formation. Number one, weekends equal sports. It's like the full moon and the tides of the ocean. Just let it be. Number one. Shopping is not a sport. And no, we will never think of it as a sport. Number one. Ask for what you want. Subtle hints don't work with us. Strong hints don't work with us. Obvious hints don't work with us. Just say it. Amen? Ten helpful hints to help women understand how men think. Number six. No, number one, amen. 
A headache that lasts for 17 months is a problem. See a doctor. Uh-oh. Number one, if something we said can be interpreted two ways, and one of those ways makes you sad or unhappy, we meant it the other way. Number one, when possible, please say what you have to say during commercials. Number one, Christopher Columbus did not need directions and neither do we. Amen? And the last of your top ten helpful hints to help women understand how men think is number one, most men only see 16 colors. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Amen? Pumpkin is also a fruit. Salmon is a fish. And we don't know what mauve is. Amen? So, hints can be helpful. They can be helpful in all areas of life, but especially when it comes to the success and the effectiveness of our teams. Amen? So, let me ask you these questions. Do you think that you have a solid marriage team? Do you think that you have a strong family team? Do you think that the Bethel team is living up to the expectations of Christ? Do you think that your work team is all that it can be? If not, maybe it's time to adjust how we think. Maybe it's time to adjust our thinking and heed some helpful hints from the Bible. All right? If you want to do that, then turn in your Bibles today to Philippians chapter 3, and I'd like to share with you helpful hints for the home team. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 15, Paul writes to the believers in Philippi saying, Therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind. Amen? Thinking. Have this mind, and if there is anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. The first helpful hint for the home team from this passage is to be an example of Christ. Did you hear it there at the very beginning? Let us be, let us, as many as who are mature, have this mind. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Nevertheless, to the degree we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. Join in following my example, verse 17, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Be an example of Christ. 
How many of you, when you were children, played the game, follow the leader? Anybody? Just about everybody has played follow the leader at one time. Now, if you don't know what follow the leader is all about, follow the leader is a simple game where one person plays the leader and the other participants have to get this. They have to follow wherever and they have to do whatever the leader does. You walk where the leader walks and you walk how the leader walks. The game's a lot of fun if you have a leader who is uh, making things fun and interesting. But if the leader just kind of walks doing nothing, then people get bored and they quit. And sometimes they go and they try to find a new leader. But if there are lots of things to be done, a lot of different things that, are, that he is doing, then the followers have to keep up with what the leader's doing. And they have to uh, realize that he's doing these things for a reason. And he's doing these things because they're interesting, they're fun, and they're fulfilling. Others sitting on the sideline may even join in the game if they see you following the leader. Now, I don't think there's any better illustration of following the leader than the church. Our sole responsibility as the body of Christ is to follow the head of the body, and that is Jesus Christ. We are to follow our leader. And here, the Apostle Paul is encouraging Philippian believers to be good followers, to imitate him as he imitated Jesus. And he even said so much when he was writing to the Corinthian believers, he said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ Jesus. So that ought to be the goal. Certainly that should be the calling of any teacher or preacher is that I ought to be able to tell you, ask you, follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, all my life I've heard parents uh, sometimes jokingly, sometimes not. Uh, I've even uh, heard presidents either by what they say or, or how they live say do as I say, not as I do. If you're joking, that's one thing. But if you're serious, that's another. I want to show you, uh, this is the, the Bible blast board. Amen? This is the time that I have with the children, with every age group of child. And I go in, and talk with them about the month's theme and what we're doing. Uh, as you notice, we're teaching them to be good leaders. And our focal verse this, this month is don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. 1 Timothy 4.12. Now, the discussion went from there is, are you a good example? Are you a bad example? And it was interesting because I thought I was going to have to tell our kids what a good example looked like. I thought I was going to have to tell them what a bad example looked like. But I want you to see what the children said a good example looks like and what a bad example looks like and see where you fit. As a good example, they said that a good example is kind. They express 
They're love. They are also helpful. They tell the truth. Good examples are good prayers. Amen. Everybody know what a prayer is? Uh, they pray. Uh, good examples read the Bible. Uh, good examples follow Christ. They are obedient. They worship God, and they are joyful. Amen. That was last month's uh, theme, by the way, being joyful. Uh, but they also knew what a bad example is. And I know I'm shaking this thing like crazy. Uh, a bad example is a person who harms people, uh, whether physically or verbally or any other way. Uh, a bad example also lies. A bad example may be one who is struggling with addictions. Uh, a bad example may be one who is disrespectful, who might be living worldly, who is disobedient. But lastly, and certainly not least importantly, a bad example is somebody who's got a potty mouth. Amen? Amen? Okay. What's your point, Brother Bill? The point is don't have a potty mouth. Amen? First and foremost. But second of all, your children know, our kids know what a good example is. And they know what a bad example is. The question needs to be asked, how do they view you? Friend, let me just tell you. They may know what a good example is, but there's always times to change. You can always change from one type of example to the other. So many times our kids hear, do as I say, not as I do. But I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, I want to beg with you uh, from the scriptures themselves, be an example. Be an example of Christ. Not only for those around you, but be an example of Christ for our children. Amen? That's certainly one of the uh, helpful hints uh, for the home team is to be an example of Christ. Here's a second helpful hint for you, and that is avoid enemies of the cross. Listen to what verse 18 said again. For Paul said to the believers, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is in their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Friends, listen here. Sometimes our enemies wear disguises. Sometimes our enemies are hard to spot. Sometimes enemies of the cross are difficult to see. Who were these enemies of the cross of Christ that Paul was talking about? Well, some say that Paul was talking about those legalizers that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You remember those legalizers, don't you? Those ones who were so focused on religion that they couldn't focus on their relationship with Jesus. Those legalizers. But other people say, no, Paul was talking about libertines. The libertines. And you may not know who those are, but libertines are basically people who were professing to be Christians. But they were living like they were not. Aren't you so glad that we don't have people in the church that are like those libertines? Professing to be believers on Christ, but living like they're not? Mm. So the legalizers uh, worshipped earthly rituals and earthly laws, which were just symbols of heavenly things. And these libertines claimed to love God, but in truth, who did they love? 
They loved the world. So, both of them were setting their minds on earthly things. And therefore, both of them were enemies of the cross. See, friend, these libertines and these legalizers, in all actuality, they were living for self and self only. And they had made self their God. And let me tell you that if you make self your God, then you are an enemy of the cross. Amen? John wrote, don't love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John, I was just hoping that Johnny Stanford was here today. Johnny, do you remember Boris Becker? Anybody else remember Boris Becker? Amen, many of you. Well, Boris Becker uh, was a tennis star. And when Boris Becker was at the top of the tennis world, he was also on the brink of suicide. He said, I had won Wimbledon twice, once as the youngest player ever to compete. I was rich. I had all the material possessions that I needed. I was exactly like those movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. I had everything, but I was so unhappy. But Becker is not the only one to have felt that sense of emptiness. There was a great author named Jack Higgins who was asked one time what he would like to have known as a boy. He said, the thing that I would have liked to have known as a boy is that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. That's interesting. When you get to the top, there's nothing there. Friend, this life that we're living, this Christian life, it's all about the journey and not as much about the destination. Let me just tell you this too. Notice that there in verse 18, Paul said, For many... For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping. Paul was heartbroken, crying, weeping at the thought of people being deceived from knowing the truth of the cross. I wonder, would Paul be weeping today? My, my, my. Satan has deceived so many people, they don't even know what truth is. I think that Paul will be weeping now over the courts trying to tell us we can't trust in God. I believe that Paul would be weeping now over our school saying God's got to get out. I believe that Paul would be weeping over this new way we communicate in order to be politically correct. Friend, I got to tell you, this morning I'm not going to be so politically correct. In fact, I want to tell you what the truth is. Of the gospel is. The truth of the gospel is this. No matter how nice you are. No matter how courageous you are. No matter how popular you are. No matter how rich you are. How famous you are. No matter how influential you are. No matter how high on the status rung you are. No matter how religious you are. No matter how faithful you are. No matter how self-righteous you are. If you have not believed, if you have not believed in the finished work of Jesus as Savior on the cross, friend, if you have not believed 
in the resurrection from the grave. If you have not believed and received the Christ who gave us the right to become a child of God through believing in His name, if you have not committed yourself to Him as Lord, you are an enemy of the cross. That's a scary thought to be considered an enemy of the cross. Some people will say, Brother Bill, you better not say that about me. I come to church every Sunday morning, I'll have you know. You better not say that about me. I believe in God. There are people who truly believe that what they are doing is the right thing. They're not offending anybody. They're not using the Lord's name in vain. They believe they're doing the right thing. They're just being politically correct. They're not striving to live a godly life to honor the Savior who died for them. No. They're being an enemy of the cross. Friend, the only way to be pleasing to God, the only way to be right with God, the only way to get to the heaven of God, the only way is by trusting in what the Son of God did on the cross. That's it. So your first helpful hint for the home team, be an example of Christ. The second helpful hint is to be sure to avoid enemies of the cross. And avoid becoming one yourself. But the third helpful hint, and will be done, is to eagerly await for the Savior. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 20, Paul writes to believers, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able, even to subdue all things unto Himself. Friends, we ought to be eagerly waiting for the Savior. Know that, this, that the Philippians, they were under the rule of Rome. The Philippians were citizens of Rome, and therefore they had all the privileges of being a Roman. They had all the, the protection of Rome. But Paul reminds them here that they're actually citizens of heaven. Their citizenship is in heaven. Friend, not only are we citizens of heaven, but we also eagerly await the Savior from heaven. That being the case, let us live in such a way that others see that we're different. They need to know that God's family is different than what the world says people should be. And that phrase there, eagerly wait, oh, it's such a strong phrase. It's a strong phrase in the original language and it means that we are to express earnest expectation. Earnest expectation that what we believe in, it is coming. It's imminent. It's right around the corner. We don't know when it's coming, but we know that it's coming. Friend, the return of Jesus Christ should stimulate all kind of feelings. It should remind us of several things. It should remind us that there's going to be 
a day of accounting. Nobody's going to get away with anything. We often look at the unjust and the evil and the wickedness in our world today, and we keep saying to ourselves, how are they getting away with this? Friend, let me tell you, there'll be a day, and they won't get away with it. Number two, the return of Jesus should also remind us that we should be urgent about telling other people. In our life group this morning, we said that was one of the primary things that a believer should have about himself is that even his enemies need to know about Jesus. They need to get to Jesus. Uh, the return of Christ should remind us that we ought to be in a personal pursuit of holiness. I am so far from where I want to be, but I thank God I'm so far from where I used to be. Amen? Let us passionately be pursuing the holiness of God. But the return of Christ should also remind us that we should never look at world events and say, man, things are so far out of control. Can God ever do anything? I want to tell you that the Lord's hand is still in control and will always be in control. Dr. Horatius Benar was the pastor of the Free Church in Scotland. And he would peek out at night before he went to bed, and he would peek out the curtains, and he would look up at the heavens, and he would say, perhaps tonight, Lord? And then he'd wake up in the morning, and he would go and he'd pull back the curtains, and he'd look up again at the, sun, at the sunrise, and he'd say, perhaps today, Lord? Perhaps before you even start praying, you should ask that question. Are you coming today, Lord? Are you coming tonight? See, we eagerly wait. We eagerly wait for Jesus in several capacities, but two, we eagerly await Him as our Savior. Listen to what the author of Hebrews wrote about Jesus and the capacity of Savior. He reminds us in Hebrews 9, 27, that it is appointed for men to die once, but after that, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait. Who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He'll be our Savior. But we also ought to eagerly await the Lord Jesus Christ, in the capacity of Lord. Remember what Philippians said just a, a few short weeks ago, that God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's coming as Savior, but he's coming as Lord accepted him or not, believed in him or not, received him or not. He's coming as Savior. He's coming as Lord. Will he be your Savior? Will he be your Lord? You know, back in World War II, General Douglas MacArthur was withdrawing from the Philippines and he had waded waist deep in the Pacific Ocean and he dramatically proclaimed to the Filipino people, I will return. I will return. And for many long months, many long years, those three words, I will return, 
where it's the only ray of hope in the darkness, uh, in a politically, uh, strategically, and criminally oppressed country. Millions of citizens hung on those three words, I will return. It was their only ray of hope. It was their only promise of deliverance. Let me tell you, MacArthur did return. Except when he returned, he bypassed Manila, Manila, the capital of the Philippines, and he went straight to Tokyo, where he received the surrender of the Japanese nation on the battleship Missouri. Yeah, he returned all right. He kept his promise. And even though he was just a human being, he did return. But listen to what Paul says. Paul puts it this way, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as Savior. You see, friend, when when Christ returns, He's going to conquer everything. When Christ returns, He's going to conquer everywhere. When Christ returns, He's going to be the King of kings. He's going to be the Lord of lords. He's going to be the ruler of all. There will be no more sin. There will be no more evil. There will be no more persecution of believers. When He returns with that same power, the Bible says that He will transform the weak bodies of every believer into the glorious bodies that's just like his resurrected body. That's what the Bible says. Our identities won't change. You're still going to be you. It's just the Bible says your body will be like the glorified body of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about this situation too. He wrote to them saying, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So that when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortality has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, get this, death is swallowed up in victory. Last week, I shared with you the greatest hurdle to the human being. Remember what it was? Death. Now the Bible tells us that death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the what? The victory. The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, say therefore. Therefore, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. 
You know, champions are champions for one reason. And on the heels of yesterday's games, uh, this brings it all to light. Champions are champions for one reason. Why? Because they win. They achieve victory. Amen? The, the champions of the National Football League, they get a trophy. It's called the Lombardi Trophy. The champions of the National Hockey League, they get a trophy too. It's called the Stanley Cup. But then there's champions of the cross, and we get a trophy too, and it's called heaven. Amen? It's called heaven. Friend, let me tell you this. As champions of the cross, we eagerly await for our king to return. So I guess in closing, I want to tell you that if you desire to be a champion of the cross, if you don't hear anything else I said today, hear this. If you want to be a champion of the cross and you want heaven, Get to Jesus. Whatever you've got to do, get to Jesus. I'm not pointing you to me. I'm not pointing you to any person. I'm not pointing you to a church. I'm telling you, you've got to get to Jesus. And you're going to have that opportunity to get to Jesus here in just a moment. But you know, there are also champions here today who have already believed and received Jesus. But they wonder, how come I have no victory on my marital team? How come there's no victory in my family team, in my church team? How come I ain't got no victory in my work team? Maybe you need to be an example of Christ. Maybe it's high time that you get about the business of avoiding the enemies of the cross, like legalism. And being like those libertines who said one thing but did another. Be an example. Avoid the enemies. But finally, every morning of your life, be eagerly waiting for the Savior. During the invitation song that we're about to sing, you're going to have two opportunities. One, to get on board, to get to Jesus. If you'll have the courage to step up, step out, step forward, I'll show you what this book says about how you can become a part of the family of God. But if you're already part of the family of God, I'll also pray with you, encourage you, and I'll lead you through what the Word says about how you can be a more effective child of God, of the King. Amen? Let me pray for you. Our Lord God, how we praise you and thank you for the truth that we find in your word. And that not only do we find helpful hints for the home team, but we also find helpful directives, helpful commandments for the home team. And I ask you now in Jesus' name to speak to those who are not part of Team Jesus right now but your word has fallen on their heart and their hearts are receptive and they're willing to take one step of faith and find out how they can get to Jesus. Lord, there may be many of those who have believed and received they're a part of Team Jesus, but they're wondering 
Why? Why have I got no victory? Father, we know that you hold the key to victory. And Lord, by being an example of Jesus Christ, by avoiding the enemies of the cross, and Lord, by eagerly waiting for you, by trusting you, things can be different. Speak to us as only you can. We give you the reins of our life and ask you to do with us what you will. All for your glory. And in Jesus' name we all pray. And all God's people say.